Greetings, explorers, traders, pirates, mercenaries, griefers, and care bears, and all those elite dangerous fans united in the love of a good book. Welcome to episode two of Data Slate, Lave Radio's book review show, where we take space explorers out to the frontier to find new reading adventures. I'm your host, Station Commander Alan Stroud, and on this episode we'll be talking about the latest convention and award news in science fiction and fantasy before moving on to our selected reading recommendations. Joining me is our veteran John Richardson from Starfleet Comms, a podcast that's been venturing into deep space far longer than Lave Radio, and John is blessed with an extra edition this evening. He's got the hiccups. Yes. Welcome, John. Hi. Thanks for having me aboard. No, luckily I haven't hicked yet. <laughs> so... How's your week been? What have you been? Well, up to? Uh, as as you may know, I've I've been into hospital and I've uh, had knives cutting me open and all sorts of stuff for nothing nothing too major, but major enough to have me on top of an operating table. But uh, I'm out now and shown true dedication by being on Data Slate. Yeah, well done. I mean, uh, you know, obviously very, very recent and you yes. know, something that you had planned, but it's always a little bit of time to recover. But I guess it gives you more reading it time. Did, it did, yes. So I have been reading. And of course, the book I was reading whilst there is uh, the one I'm going to be reviewing later on. Oh, brilliant. So that, that works out well. Yeah. For myself, what have I been up to? Goodness. So to start with, I've done a lot more reviews. If anybody is checking out sfbook.com or the BritishFantasySociety.co.uk, you'll see there's one or two more reviews from me up there. Some of them I've, I've read a few weeks ago, but uh, they're books that have come into me and, and, you know, and then the reviews have gone live. So one or two of those have gone up. It's been really nice to interact with the authors who are obviously are pleased when, when somebody sort of takes a, an interest in their work, which has been nice. So we've been doing that. Other things that have been going on, so working on some academic stuff, which is related to Elite Dangerous, which is all very good, all very submitted and all very gone in. So there's What's that then? Well, essentially, as part of my doctorate. Oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yes, I'm about halfway through my doctorate. And the first case study of my doctorate is the work I did to help develop the fiction background for Elite Dangerous. Yes. So the final submission of... That part of the portfolio is imminent. I've just today been putting the finishing touches to it. You have no idea how boring bibliographies are. They are incredibly boring because you have to make them very, very precise and accurate and work out where you're supposed to put your full stops and everything. So, yes, I've been doing that today. And I also have, hopefully, an article in an academic journal to be published in May, which also covers some of the development elements of what we did in Elite Dangerous, and that's for Foundation, the Journal of International Science Fiction. And, uh, yeah, I'm hoping that, uh, that that's now going to go through. It's actually it's an article that was due in a game special with them last year, but um, unfortunately, due to illness, the editor of that game special couldn't produce the, the piece, so now it's going, I think it's going into the main edition, which is due out, as I say, in May, so we're looking forward to that. Good. I've been writing because you can. Chaos Reborn. <laughs> well, well, Chaos Reborn, which is the game that I'm then working on, which is produced by Julian Gollop and Snapshot Games. They had a new release last week, late last week, if I remember rightly. And that new release is version 0.26. So they've upgraded the creatures, upgraded some of the magic and some of the spells and some of the things you can do. And... I'm writing the official fiction novel, so I, I kind of thought, because I'm off from teaching at the moment, I needed to get some writing done, so I needed to get that moving again, so I'm delighted to say that as of tonight, which we're recording on a Thursday, so as of tonight, I've 
done about 11,000 words since the break, so which is really good. So it's a book scheduled in six parts. I'm I'm just coming to the end of part four, and then I've got two more to do. So good stuff. And then over last weekend, over the Easter weekend, Karen and myself went down to Eastercon, which is one of the national conventions for science fiction and fantasy. This one's specifically associated with the British Science Fiction Association and their award ceremony as part of the proceedings and what have you, which is was obviously was great fun. Mm, brilliant. So how long was that for then? And what did well, you Eastercon, do? Uh, well, <laughs> Eastercon runs from the Friday through to the end of Easter Monday. Mm. We only went for the Saturday, so we were only down just for the day on the Saturday. But we went early and we left late. So, you know, yeah. lovely venue. It's a hotel venue near Heathrow, or it was for this year. Next year, I believe, is in Manchester, and the year after is in Cardiff. So they've just announced those locations. And it's essentially a sort of celebration of all science fiction and fantasy books. It's a celebration of games. You know, there's quite a lot of things going on there. So you could go along, you sign up, and you get your goodie bag. And as we seem to find, and I'll, you know, good tip for listeners, get on the convention circuit. A lot of free books on the convention circuit. So you always come home with a bag of loot. Don't know what it is. Do you know what strikes me as odd about this? is that I'm a big science fiction fan. I've been a big science fiction fan for half a century. Yes, even out the womb, I was straight away interested in science fiction. And I've never even heard of EasterCon. Well, it's been going since 1948. Good Lord. <laughs> Where do these people advertise? Well, I, you know... I. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know where you, you've, you know, you've, you've not seen it, but you know, it's, it's, it's great that you've met me, isn't it? It's you know, fantastic. Because yes, because I know I'm about it you, now. Yeah, I'm giving you the, the, the lowdown on, on the way these things work. Really? So, yeah, you have all the, all the sort of major publishers are at EasterCon. All the major science fiction and fantasy publishers are at EasterCon, and also all the indies. So, yeah. they basically they had this really interesting idea where they took some of the ground floor rooms, hotel rooms. And they removed all the furniture from them and turned them into little shopping booths. That's a good idea. So you went down this long, straight corridor. Yeah. And on your left would be a room that was a shop. And there was about 20 of them. Brilliant. So you just went up and down this long corridor, which was was lovely, apart from the rooms where they hadn't figured out the air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, we went in and saw book vendors dripping with sweat. Yeah. They're like, you realise that there's air conditioning here. Oh, thank you. you know, so <laughs> that was that was quite funny. But um, no, it was great fun. Good. And so we went up and down and, and sort of saw lots of stuff and saw lots of books and things. And they had a real ale bar, which was, was very nice. So Karen got to, to go and sample the real ale at the real ale bar while... Me being the designated driver didn't. Oh dear! Uh, but it's 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 fine. I'm, you know, I'm not bitter. Yeah. That was a pun. It was a really bad yeah, it pun. Was, but yeah. It was. It was a pun. <laughs> so yeah. So we did that, and then went to a couple of talks. So the major guest for the the weekend was Jim Butcher. If people know the Dresden Files, then Jim Butcher, being the author of the Dresden Files, he'd come over from America, okay. and so he's the main guest. He was being interviewed on stage by Charles Stross, if you've read or know of Saturn's Children. But anyway, so Charles Stross was interviewing Jim Butcher, which was was good. Good. And then we basically, we just kind of hung out with, you know, with writers and with publishers and listened to a couple of readings in the evening, which was really nice. And um, then stayed at the bar for a bit 
and then headed home with fantastic. our with our loot, which is always <laughs> nice. So, Bags of so, yeah. swag. Well, it is nice, and of course, it is also nice that some of the you know the aspiring writers who were there got chatting to a, a couple of great writers and. They were very interested in me reviewing their work, so you know that's come home. And Karen snaffled those books to go and read first, so that's fine. But um, yeah, so you know, there's a few reviews to come of uh, of stuff that we picked up down there, which was really nice Super. and um, great talks too. You know, so um, always good, always good to see. So what's the Hugo's then? While we were there, they announced the nominations. Now the Hugo's are one of the big science fiction and fantasy awards that you get every year and as i mentioned in episode one last week we featured Anne leckie's book ancillary justice which won the hugo last year so the hugo nominations were announced on the weekend of eastercon the hugos being you know they're an international award eastercon being a british convention but they're announced at the same time so it was quite nice you know you were able to sort of talk about them to people while you're at the convention yep. and there's a bit of controversy last year we certainly had a, a bit of a theme towards the awards which was was really good because last year's theme was very much towards empowering women writers and sort of seeing how how perhaps science fiction in its previous guise its history has been a little bit male dominated and actually seeing some really good women writing you know really good books and reading some of those good books and seeing them recognised in the awards last year was was excellent. Unfortunately, this year, we've had a bit of a reaction. So there are two groups which have established themselves called Sad Puppies and Rabid Puppies. Mm, dear. <laughs> and with these award ceremonies, they, they have a... Basically, the way in which the events work is that if you're a member of the convention society, then that means you go to the convention. So, for example, for... For Worldcon, you have to be a member of Worldcon and you renew your membership every so often. And that gives you your tickets. As a member, you can vote for the awards and you can also nominate. So what Sad Puppies and, and the Rabid Puppies did is they got together a, a fairly substantial group. By using the internet, got together a fairly substantial group of people who were members, were convention goers, and gave them a prescribed list and said... This is what we want to see on the awards list this year. Mm. And unfortunately, quite a lot of those nominated books are on the awards list. So, Ooh. yeah, so it's it's all a little bit unfortunate in that regard, particularly as we've got a little bit of, as I say, it's a bit reactionary. There is a sort of, well, there is a bit of a, a claim of it to have an agenda towards making the awards more popular and reflect more popular science fiction and fantasy. But actually what they're doing is just reflecting uh, a different group of people. Yeah, it's a different viewpoint rather than, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, you know, you look down the list and you see a publishing house that's got several nominations and you're like, I've never heard of you. Mm. Oh, oh, the guy who organised this. Oh, he's associated with you. Right. Well, that'll be why okay. then, yeah. Right, yeah. and... And, oh, this writer, this writer's quite controversial. He said certain things about this, 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 and this, and he's on the list. Mm. Right. So, yeah, it's a bit unfortunate at the moment. So I think the movement amongst quite a few writers and quite a few people who are sort of trying to work out what they feel about it is to vote for no award in most of the categories, which is really a bit of a shame. And we'll, we'll have to see how this develops as things go forwards. Mm. 
we have, you know, I mean, there are people who are on that nominated list and who were then nominated who have nothing to do with these two groups. But the fact that they were nominated might be because they, you know, they're basically they're on the prescribed list. That's right. So there's a little bit of an element of distrust about it now, isn't it? Because of this list thing. Yeah, it's kind of tarnished the award this yeah. year, which is a real shame. We're hoping that this won't kind of spread to the Nebulas, which is the other big yeah, science and Nebula fantasy awards. Award I've, I've heard yeah. of that one. <laughs> oh, well, you know, that's that's fine. But they, we're hoping it won't spread to the Nebulas. They have suggested that they're going to try to influence the Nebula list, which would be a real shame. That said, it might make it a little easier for certain people to do well. I don't know, you know, particularly because there will be quite a reaction to other writers. And Anne Leckie is back on the, the Hugo Noms list anyway for Ancillary Sword. So the sequel to Ancillary Justice mm-hmm. is on for, for Book of the Year anyway. She she really doesn't fit the profile of the sad puppies and rabid puppies, <laughs> shall we say, the kind of person that they were trying to put forward. Okay. It might be that, that it'll be a bit reactionary, you know, and actually that, that she may do well. So, you know, it'd be nice to see good writers obviously rewarded, but we'll just have to see what happens. So it'd be a shame if we have quite a lot of no awards in those lists. Yeah, very strange. Okay. So that kind of gives you a bit of an idea of EasterCon. What I'd suggest to people, if you're around Manchester next year and, uh, and thinking about having something to do on your Easter weekend, have a look up and, and see where it is and see what, um, what they're doing to organise it and who's going to be there. So you'll get to meet people that you would normally wouldn't get to meet you know, elsewhere. One of the best things about it is it's that kind of medium-sized convention where you're probably going to find, if you've got one or two writers that you really like and they're likely to be there, you're probably going to find there's enough time to, to have a bit of a chat. Talk to them, yeah. Yeah, because they, they've got to get a drink at the bar too. Yeah. And got to get a meal from somewhere. So, okay. you know, You're really not good condoning actually interrupting people at the bar and their meals, are you? I, I I wouldn't dream of condoning that. That would be obviously stalkerish. But to be fair, most writers are pretty approachable about these things. Okay. And if they're not, they bring lots of people with them in dark suits to, to keep you away, which I've never seen happen. Okay. <laughs> we're going to take a quick advert break, and then we're going to come back and go to John's choice for his book this week. Okay. Pilots. Are you feeling isolated? Alone, with only the cold rays of a dying neutron star to keep you company. Then you need to lock your coordinates onto the EDC. At the EDC network, you'll meet thousands of like-minded spacers. You'll get the latest trading news, entertainment news, current affairs, and blatant gossip. Are you looking for a new career avenue? A wingman? A friend to share those lonely hours sat shooting beryllium out of asteroids. We have just the people you need to talk to. So power that frameshift into overdrive and log onto the EDC today. Subscription to the Elite Dangerous community on Facebook is free for the initial month and will then be billed at 50,000 credits per year on a tri-monthly basis. Zero cancellation policy is in place and will be vigorously enforced. Greetings, Commanders. Second Technician Fozzer Forrester here. If you'd like to catch the crew of the Orange Sidewinder, we broadcast live every Tuesday at 8.30pm BST. Fly safe, and if you can't do that, fly dangerous. Is your life like this? Okay, and we're back. Now, 
first thing I have to say is John's hiccups have disappeared, so he's able to give us his recommendation for his book this week. John, Hello. your book. Yes, I can speak without interruption, which is really good. So, yes, my book this week isn't really one of your classic science fiction books. It's not got your, your spaceships in it. It's not got space stations in it. It's not got different worlds in it. It's got no alien civilizations in it. It's got no hint of alien civilizations in it. And in fact, you would question whether it was science fiction or not. But it does actually have science in it, and it is fiction. And that's the bit that I'm going for. <laughs> so it's called The Age of Miracles and it's by Karen Thompson Walker and it is a, an odd story in that it's taken from the viewpoint of a, um, a young teenage girl and when I first saw this, in fact I first heard this advertised on uh, Radio 2 I heard Karen being interviewed on Radio 2 around about three or four years ago and I thought oh god that just sounds so dreary what a, a viewpoint of a little girl this is going to be rubbish and um all of those sorts of very strange thoughts went through my mind as to what this would actually look like but anyway curiosity got the better of me and i thought well i might as well go buy it anyway because that's what i just do so i bought this book got it on the kindle it's 378 on the kindle by the way 495 hardcover and 398 paperback and you can get it from amazon and i just couldn't put it down it was really weird. It tells the story of what happens when the the world stops turning or at least starts to slow down. And it's told in such a way that you don't you, you drip fed it and mm. you understand how everything is networked together in a society. So it's a little bit like when something doesn't work in part of society, something else breaks then something else goes, and there's a whole list of other things that were reliant on it, and it's all told from the story of one family, and it is a, a really good read. All right, so the world is our world, yeah. and essentially it's just taking, it's, it's like a, a near-future piece, so yeah. you're just taking the normal everyday world premise, but then making that tiny change that this is happening to the world yeah. and how people experience it. Yeah. Is that, that kind of a good... Pretty much it, yeah. So okay. what, what starts to happen is the, the day extends to something like 26 hours in a day. Okay? Right. And at first, there's no real effect on anyone. Night shift workers start to notice. People who tend to work during the night tend to notice more because they're more focused on the light and the dark. Over time, this extends to, say, 36 hours. And, of, of course, there are, you know, announcements made and all sorts of other stuff, and people don't understand why it's happening, and there's no real explanation either as to why it's happening, but that's almost irrelevant to the actual story itself. Yeah. So, and what you get is you get a split in society towards the end of the beginning of the book, if that mm -hmm. makes sense, the end of Act 1, I think, where basically people split from clock-time people to real-time people. So some okay. people are following clock-time religiously, 24 hours in a day, and everything that goes with that, and other people are following real-time. So they're trying to stay awake for the whole 24 hours and then sleep for 24 hours. And it tells you how... The effect of that, uh, the effect of that on society and, and what goes on. It's really good. Um, I've got some blurb. Shall I give you some blurb? 
Absolutely. Sell us the blurb. <laughs> I love the blurb. So here we go. It is never what you worry over that comes to pass in the end. The real catastrophes are always different, unimagined, unprepared for, unknown. What if our 24-hour day grew longer, first in minutes, then in hours, until day becomes night and night becomes day? What effect would this slowing have on the world, on the birds in the sky, the whales in the sea, the astronauts in space, and on an 11-year-old girl grappling with emotional changes in her own life? One morning, Julia and her parents wake up in their suburban home in California to discover, along with the rest of the world, that the rotation of the Earth is noticeably slowing. The enormity of this is almost beyond comprehension. And yet, even if the world is in fact coming to an end, as some assert, day-to-day -day life must go on. Julia, facing the loneliness and despair of an awkward adolescence, witnesses the impact of this phenomenon on the world, on the community, on her family and on herself. It really is a good read. It's interesting. I spoke with Terry Pratchett back in 2008 when he was an honorary doctor at our university and uh, graduated as an honorary doctor with my science fiction and fantasy students at the time. Okay. I knew him from many, many years ago. And I sort of gathered them up and, and brought them over to him to try and get them to get an opportunity to discuss with him about science fiction and fantasy. One of the things he advised them is if you ever want to write good science fiction, just change one thing. Don't change lots. Mm -hmm. Just change one thing and then try and work out what that means. Yeah. So if you alter one thing, how does that change everything else? And that's kind of what you've got, I guess, from this, haven't it you? It is, yeah. It's literally just the one thing that's changed and everything else is a link to that what-if scenario. And I guess it gives it quiet power, doesn't it? Because of the perspective of the little girl. Yeah, and it's strange because I never bought into that at first. I thought, oh, this is going to be, you know, it's all going to be about Barbie dolls and rubbish like that. I was Honestly, it was such a, a terrible attitude I had when I went in to buy it. But I, I, reading through it, uh, it's utterly changed my attitude and it's opened my eyes, really. It's been really good. And the, the way that some of the effects uh, that are described... You'd never consider, never consider. So there's obviously some thought gone into this and some research. I'm not saying it's 100% scientifically accurate, but you know there's definitely some research gone into it because it's it it sounds believable. So well, there's several authors have played around with the simple premise idea, mm. and then sort of extended it and see what you know what sort of happens with it. But I guess as well because it's from the perspective of a 10 year old girl you've got that opportunity to obfuscate certain things. Of course. You know, because yeah. obviously she would not know them. She wouldn't know. And what you were saying initially about the fact that you don't need to know certain things because that's not the story you're telling. That's right. And that, that perhaps makes it all the more real yeah. because you're keeping it narrow and keeping it focused. No, you're absolutely In right. terms of yeah. what's there. Yeah, that's right. Is it first person or third person? Is it told, does she tell it as a, as a memoir or is it the girl? She tells it as a know, memoir. Um, ah, fantastic! So it, it, it's it's quite good in that respect. I think it's it's quite refreshing because she 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 does, she does uh, tend to have a little rant every now and again as well, which they're quite entertaining. So um, it's good. Yeah, it's all right. Excellent. Yeah. Okay, so we have then the Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker, and that's available on Amazon. You can get it for three pounds seventy eight for the Kindle edition. Four ninety five for hardcover. Yeah. Three ninety eight I see for paperback. And also, if you're an audiophile, it's there for thirteen seventy-five. 
and if you need a CD because your record player hasn't got anything to play, then it's £20.41. Record player? Um, That's just so oldy-worldy now. Well, well, you know, the the fact that anyone would put a CD on their record player would... um, Never mind. Um, So, yeah, so certainly it did incredibly well. It was published in 2013 and did incredibly well in 2013. So I think that you're probably taking the prize this week for going for... A prize? Well, last week we kind of had a bit of a, you know, you went to one end and I went to the other. That's right, yeah. And I think this week we've probably shifted goalposts really? and swapped. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk a little bit more about my book when we come back. Is your life like this? Take that, evil pirate scum! Pew, 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 pew! Pew, 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 pew! Second technician Chris Forrester to the gantry. Second technician Forrester to the gantry. The vending machine is broken. I repeat, the vending machine is broken. It could be like this. Drive charging. fiction and fantasy festival which celebrates creativity and is inspired by the computer game elite. Join us for board gaming, LARP, cosplay, LAN, tabletop roleplay, workshops, special guests and of course Elite Dangerous. LaveCon 2015 is being held on the 11th and 12th of July just outside Northampton, England. Book your tickets at laveradio.com. It was a dark and stormy night in space. Scratch that. How can you have storms in space? There's no atmosphere, precipitation, or strange men dancing on pavements. The Force, dude. Dark side. Word. Been tracking Dirk, Katie, Starbuck through six systems Caprica, Tatooine, Hoth, Zeonse, Listi, and now Deso. The slippery man-girl was running hot in a colonial two-man triple engine. But no fancy wing-waggle is going to lose me. I don't back out when the force is involved. I bet my midichlorian money juice this sucker stole my mojo. And being Darth Baby and all red-skin horny, I don't dig charity. Do you get me? The Cobra engine whined as we accelerated on the journey. I've pulled a lot of hard genes, but the Cobra sure beats Vader's eyeball jockey. My stomach staples were still itching from Obi-Wan's paper cut, but ain't no flesh wound gonna slow me. Darth, baby. Eyes locked on, looking at the target. Ain't no pyramid playing junkie gonna one-up them all. Being tipped off by the beastie from Leastie with the Colonials packing, but he ain't seen no show pony dance the two-stick saber. Got my artificial grav on full to keep right side, dark side, and we're chasing it out. Little laser to fry the Colonials' wings. I like my chicken hot. She's, no, he's looping in the chunder lane and then goes all Skywalker on my six. I pull stick hard, sweat addling my mind. 
like some crotch grip rap star and bank on the seven. But Benedict, no, Starbucks got the wet on and he stays on the Darth's tail. So I bitch out the missile and force up. It flips and lights on the button, mister. Bank, roll, while he, she, well, deals. And then... Okay, and welcome back. Now, my choice, I've gone for something I've literally just finished reading. It was released at EasterCon on Good Friday, so the launch was down at EasterCon by Newcom Press, and the author is coming to LaveCon this year, so he'll be there. And I've chosen this because I think it's a particularly good book for Elite Dangerous fans. It has pretty much all the things that an Elite Dangerous computer game player who's interested in that kind of spaceships and trading and everything else and exploration Pelquin's Comet by Ian Waits is exactly what you will enjoy if you like those kind of things it's that kind of book brilliant so yeah so you've gone the opposite way around as we discussed exactly yeah yeah absolutely so I think I think we've you know we flipped so I'll read you the blurb excellent in an age of exploration and expansion, the crew of the free trader Pelquin's Comet, a ragtag group of misfits, ex-soldiers and ex-thieves, set out to find a cache of alien technology intent on making their fortunes. For they are not the only interested party and find themselves in a deadly race against corporate agents and hunted by the authorities. Forced to combat enemies without and within, they strive to overcome the odds under the watchful eye of an unwelcome guest. Drake, agent of the bank funding their expedition, who is far more than he seems and may represent the greatest threat of all. Intrigue and action in this high-octane collision between Firefly, the Bourne films and Indiana Jones, a two-fisted science fiction adventure, space opera as it should be written. And that's by Gavin Smith, author of Veteran. It is his characters who live through the story and make the reader need to know just how it's all going to pan out. Human characters who may seem familiar but then there's that one thing, that shifted alteration that changes the world and changes the reader too. And that's from Interzone. Brilliant. So, yeah. Excellent. Oh, that sounds really good. I have now just bought that book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ian's, Ian's a great guy. And uh, as I say, he was at EasterCon launching this. Mm -hmm. And it was lovely to, lovely to see him. And we've chatted a little bit about, you know, the upcoming stuff in relation to LaveCon and him coming to LaveCon because he's actually he's, lives in Cambridgeshire so he's quite happy to come across Lovely. and he'd already sent me it to review so I was hoping this evening I was going to get right to the end and I did about 6.30 this evening I managed to finish it so I've got all the way to the end got the review all sorted for SF Books so that will go up fairly soon and yeah it, it really does the stuff that's in the blurb there kind of does sum it up I, I can't quite see the Bourne films in it right I can see Firefly. It really does have, you know, it's got a real Firefly feel to it. And if anyone's read the official Elite Dangerous Fiction, if you've read the story by Chris Booker in Tales from the Frontier, it has a very similar feel. Chris Booker went for a, a sort of a crew story, a story of, you know, everyone on a on a slightly larger spaceship. And Pelquin's Comet has that kind of stuff. They're not out trading. They are out to go and find some ancient artifacts on a strange planet. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit of a treasure hunt, yeah. you know? Yeah. But 
uh, it certainly has has all those things because you've got the the idea of the commissioned mission. You've got the launching from the port authorities and the port authorities not being very happy yeah. with you, which is I, so like a leak. It is, isn't you know? it? Yeah. And then you've got RZ space, which is slightly different to the way in which hyperspace works yeah, in Elite. But you've got the, own, haven't they? Exactly. You know, you've got some of the same ideas. So it really is a book that will appeal to to that kind of space opera adventure crowd. They always seem to um, have a ragtag group of misfits. That was just in my <laughs> book last week. So ex-soldiers what? and ex-thieves, intent on making their fortunes, deadly race against corporate agents. Hunted by the authorities, it's it's almost a cliche, but it's a really enjoyable one, isn't it? I would say it does have its moments of cliche, and mm. I've kind of picked up a couple of bits where sometimes when you're using like your bad guy or your slightly dodgy adversary, yeah. and he's got a bodyguard or two, sometimes you put a bodyguard or two in the room and there's going to be a fight, <laughs> and the bodyguard is always going to get worse off. You know, he's always going to cop it. The red shirts and he does, of the piece. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like John Scalzi parodied in red shirts, but it's, it's not a parody. So in this, there are one or two bits where you do get a bit of a cliche. That's a particular cliche that mm. does kind of emerge through the story. And, there, you know, there's one or two others, but it tends to... The thing is with Ian is that Ian writes a lot of short stories, and I've read a fair amount of his other work, and he also he edits his collections as well. And Ian's quite a clever writer when he's looking at particular things. You know, he's been shortlisted for several prizes and he's quite a clever writer. And actually, this is quite restrained for him because it's got a bit of a young adult feel to it. So for him, he's kind of reining back a little bit of the, the tendency towards perhaps a more thought-provoking book, as it were. You know, perhaps a more thought-provoking story. He's reining back a little bit. What he's doing instead is he's going for perhaps a bit more accessibility. And I think this is a very accessible book. Mm -hmm. It does end well. It stays on the sunny side. And that's not to, to give away anything. There mm -hmm. are some lovely twists at the end. It's set up for a potential sequel. But it's complete in itself. So you get the feeling that you wouldn't worry too much if, uh, if you just read this one. You'd be quite happy with that. And I expect when you read the second one, you know, if he produces the second one, it's a compartmentalized adventure, so I think there'll be links, there'll be character links across, but I think it'll be a you know a fairly complete adventure in terms of what it does. Mm, yes, I was just going to say you were saying it ended quite well, and I'm saying well it starts quite racily. You know, there's, <laughs> um, there's Morris Hoffman the third relaxed for the first time in several weeks. He knew himself to be a fortunate man living a privileged life, and then moving on to about the second paragraph. Both were completely naked. <laughs> they rested on yeah. their sides facing each other. And it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, Where did that he, all he come from? <laughs> yeah, he doesn't pull any punches in that opening scene. It was quite yeah. interesting because actually Karen and I put the, the book on the, the Kindle text to read to drive down to Eastercom. And <laughs> so the first chapter was the emotionless reading of the, um, uh, of the text-to-speech voice <laughs> on my car stereo reading the, the and the first chapter is pretty pretty racy it is, it's yeah. you know it is a little bit on the borderline towards adult content it probably i'd say it, it sort of straddles that a little bit without meaning that as a pun <laughs> it, it actually then moves off you yeah. know and moves off into to the story yeah. i think that that's the hook I mean, isn't it that's to get people well i think that's a hook the opening chapter is designed to do something very specific and you only realize what it was there to do 
once you get further into the the book. So I'm trying not to give anything okay. away, but it does start in a direction that it kind of then there's almost like a a flip, yeah, and then you kind of go, oh, oh, right, you know, because certainly the cover sells it as one particular story. The opening chapter makes you go ah, uh, and then it does this little flip, and actually that takes you in another way. But at, at the same time, he's not pulling punches here, yeah. you know, and good authors don't tend to to shy away from content and he's not shied away from content it's not excessive and uh, it's certainly interesting when you when you realize what's actually going on in that scene i think you'll find that um you'll have a wry chuckle to yourself mm. about what uh, what was really going on i'll look forward to reading that then excellent thank you very much for pointing that one out okay so that's ian waits and pelquin's comet you can get it on Amazon at the moment. It's the Kindle edition is at two ninety nine. The paperback is available at twelve ninety nine, and uh, it was literally published on Friday. And as usual, we'll be very interested to hear what you think about it. We're also interested to hear what you think about Age of Miracles by Karen Thompson Walker. And uh, certainly, uh, any feedback on either of these would be uh, would be gratefully received, as uh, as you you may choose to go and have a read and uh, and see what's what mm. in terms of the way in which they are. That's it for another episode of Data Slate, folks. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, then you can email info at laveradio.com, facebook.com slash laveradio, at laveradio on Twitter. You can join the Skype chat channel by adding FOSA101 to your Skype contacts, or you can join our TeamSpeak server where commanders come to hang out and chat. That's laveradio.teamspeak3.com. You can find out more information about Starfleet Comms over at the website starfleetcoms.com where you can catch up with Commander Max Torps as he explores the galaxy in Elite Dangerous and you can see what they get up to with an inexperienced crew and bridge simulator. That, I believe, is good old Artemis. It is. Until next time, folks, enjoy reading those books and watch out for those asteroids. Bye. I was waiting for you. <laughs> <laughs>